Tonight on Talking Politics, I'm Sue O'Connell in for Adam Riley, and we're taking stock of some of the biggest end-of-the-year stories in the world of Massachusetts politics and looking ahead to the most important stories to come in 2022 with the continued transformation of Boston city government to Governor Charlie Baker's push to end his tenure on a high note, even if the legislature may have other ideas. Joining me from the GBH News political team, Boston City Hall reporter Soraya Wintersmith, State House reporter Mike Dean, and political editor Peter Kadzis. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for joining us. Saray, I want to start with you and talk a little bit about what's happening at Mass and Cass. Hundreds of people struggling with addiction, living outside. Meru introduced a new plan this week. What's the reaction? Yeah, I think it's a really gutsy thing for the administration, this new administration, to give themselves a deadline and set a date by which they say the area will be clear. Uh, Mayor Wu has said that for right now, there are three locations, two in Jamaica Plain and one there in Roxbury, pretty close to the intersection of Mass and Cass, where about 130 beds will be available, where people can go and be supported with addiction and mental health specialists. Um, this number is just shy of the 200 beds the Wu administration said they were aiming to have by this time, but Wu says more will come online in the coming weeks as more specialists become available. And in terms of reaction, it is mixed. Uh, folks who are down there are concerned about what it means to absorb a high needs population into a community so quickly. Um, I think also we've seen some reporting that suggests the folks who live down there are concerned about what it means for them moving forward. So that area, Saray, has just been, uh, you know, a, a a mess of good intentions, if you will. We've just seen so many efforts that have failed for one reason or another. And as you alluded to, I'm already seeing some pushback from real civilian community people who are going to be around the Shattuck area that have that temporary housing. Um, do you think that Michelle Wu has the capital? Has she gotten the capital, political capital together to try and p bring these coalitions together to work towards this solution? I think the plan is going to happen. And so we have to wait and see if she gets a ton of pushback. I know that as far as the city council goes, only Dorchester City Councilor Frank Baker has really made a fuss about how this plan was rolled out and the fact that we don't know anything about more permanent arrangements. Um, the fact that the timeline of the plan came out, you know, through various outlets reporting piece by piece based on what community members were saying. Uh, but I, I think it remains to be seen whether or not the concerns evolve into wholesale protests against the administration. Peter, many have tried and many have failed in this area. Um, you know, the ACLU standing by in case they see something that isn't working in terms of trying to force people into some sort of treatment. What's your take? Are you optimistic, cautiously optimistic, or just wait, wait and see? No, I, I would normally be wait and see. I'm optimistic. I realize this is Mayor Wu's first challenge. Um, I think... Marty Walsh's big mistake was in being too timid, not wanting to offend any constituency. Um, I think she can make this work better than anyone else who's on the scene right now. We'll see. But um, I'm unusually optimistic. <laughs> Go. 
Mike Dean, we're looking at the COVID numbers in New York State, in New York City, as sort of a bellwether of what may be happening in the state of Massachusetts in the coming weeks. And there's been some push to get Charlie Baker, Governor Charlie Baker, to get a mandated statewide mask mandate going again. What do you hear about that and who's pushing that? Well, we haven't really heard uh, from the governor himself since Tuesday when he said, no, I'm not going to return to a mask mandate. But since then, we really have heard from a number of folks, both in the legislature, in the medical community, uh, and labor organizations, especially the teachers unions, are really coming out strongly and saying that we need to you know, ratchet things back a little bit to where they were earlier on in the pandemic when these types of restrictions you know, were more pronounced. Um, you know, Baker's reply to that was that uh, you know, we're not not where we were back then. Vaccines have really made a big difference. Uh, the way people work, the availability of testing, et cetera, especially in schools, means that we don't need a statewide mask mandate. Um, Baker has definitely been um, on a track to let municipalities, cities and towns make their own decisions when it comes to whether or not they want to make a mask mandate. Uh, for instance, Baker is completely in support of a city like Boston, you know, maintaining the indoor mask mandate for public gatherings and for any kind of indoor restaurant stores, et cetera, that we've had for many months here. Um, so that's been his MO throughout this entire process, is really to uh, let the uh, local authorities deal with these types of things. Um, but you're absolutely right. There are, there's a growing drumbeat saying that this new variant and this winter are going to be worse. We need to take more solid steps. And if that means a return to uh, you know universal masking in schools uh, or an indoor mask mandate, then so be it. But um, based on the fact that no member of the Baker administration attended the legislature's COVID yeah, I wanna, oversight. Yeah, I want to get to that. I want to jump into that. I want to look quickly, though, first, Mike, at the numbers that we have comparing last December to this December where we are, you know, in terms of COVID numbers. Um, you know, the, it's pretty comparable when it comes to terms of uh, new cases uh, and really not a huge difference when it comes to the seven-day average positive test. Obviously, the hospitalization and death numbers um, help by uh, keeping those numbers low by the um, vaccines, but still startling numbers to look at where we are right now. And you mentioned, as you were going there, that the governor didn't have folks turn up to a meeting. What's up with that? Uh, you could say it's it's a lack of engagement with the legislative side of this type of thing, um, but you know the, they said that no one was available potentially because they're all, you know, handling the situation on their own. Um, I don't know if the legislature is going to, you know, try to force his hand with anything. They haven't really done much uh, up until now. Um, and the other side of this is there, there is no state of emergency right now. The governor's powers are uh, not what they were when uh, last winter when we had this kind of thing in. Um, I think, though, that the governor has shown he's willing to change his mind. He's willing to, you know, crack down and add restrictions. And it's numbers like that you just showed, the, those ICU numbers, especially hospital beds are the types of things that, uh, the types of data the governor likes to input when he makes decisions. And so if that were to maintain or go up, um, I think we could see a reversal. Peter, I, it's a political show and we're having a political conversation. Um, one often would look at the actions of a governor based on whether or not they're seeking re-election and how the political fallout would affect them. Uh, Baker is not seeking uh, re-election. So one would think he would be able to act more freer <laughs> without having to worry about campaigning and getting votes. Um, do you think that's impacting how he's looking at uh, impact, uh, enacting COVID restrictions or mask mandates or any of that? 
Well, reading Charlie Baker's mind is tough, so I'm not going to pretend to do that. However, um, Baker's been remarkably consistent in his dealings with COVID. As Mike rightly pointed out, um, when the facts dictated, he has changed his mind. Um, we're still getting vintage Charlie Baker right now. And I think when the numbers tell him to, he'll change it if it's needed to be. Um, his critics were also critics before. Um, I'm not trying to invalidate their point of view, but as you pointed out, we're talking politically. Um, I think this is at the moment um, in the noise category, important noise, but still noise. So there's rumblings uh, about Michelle Wu regarding uh, vaccine card identification going into public places. It's something she mentioned on the campaign. It, it seems that she is heading in a different direction when it comes to fighting COVID than the state at, is, and, and including areas across the city. We're looking at Worcester numbers, which across the state, Worcester numbers, which are concerning. Um, any indication about her relationship yet with, with Governor Baker uh, and um, how they're going to act as a team when it comes to fighting COVID through the winter? This will be a great thing to watch in the coming year. I think Michelle Wu is deft at giving a slight answer that doesn't reveal too much at any one time. I think at last check, when we in the City Hall press corps asked her about what was going on between Boston and the state, she just said more collaboration is always better, which doesn't tell us much about the temperature of the relationship between her and Baker. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. She is seeming to indicate that she's heading in the direction of um, requiring passports for public uh, recreation. They had, she appointed that COVID advisory committee and they had their first meeting and she has repeatedly said that everything is on the table, including that. Those are two great answers to give at any time. Just more collaboration is <laughs> needed and everything's on the table. Peter, there was a, uh, an election, a special election that some people paid attention to this year. Lydia Edwards uh, looks like she's on her way to becoming a state senator. Of course, leaving the city council, she beat uh, Anthony D'Ambrosio. This was a Winthrop Revere, parts of Cambridge, parts of Boston race. Um, you know, usually elections are just elections and special elections with their low turnout aren't usually big indicators of a, a sweeping change. But is there anything that we can see here, any lessons or, or uh, predictions that come from this race? Well, Sue, I, I think it's, um, a, it is a footnote to the powerful progressive trends that is at work in greater Boston. You know, it began with Ayanna Presley winning her congressional seat, Rachel Rollins, winning the district attorney's position. It, you know, was capped for the moment by Michelle Wu's winning the mayoralty. And I would say um, Edward's victory uh, uh, in the primary um, just is another bit of emphasis that in the greater Boston area, progressive politicians have renewed muscle. So 
Mike, you're, you're up at the State House regularly, from what I understand on social media, getting lost, getting locked in the building, not being able to find your way out. Basically, you're haunting the State House uh, in a way that future generations will say, I think I see the ghost of Mike D in somewhere. So, and he's still lost. He's still yeah, lost exactly. wandering around with looking for a vending machine. Um, <laughs> So I, what, so I asked, though, this, what's the buzz? What are people saying about this election, if anything? We're, we're going to enter this new year. We're going to get to your New Year's predictions in a minute. But um, things have, are all shaken up a little bit in terms of Baker not being and Polito not definitely running for office and some new faces coming in. What's the vibe from the ghost of uh, Mike Dean? I definitely think the vibe up here is around this burgeoning Democratic primary for governor and whether or not the, uh, you know, the, the wave of progressives that we're seeing from Mayor Wu's election, Lydia Edwards' uh, presumed election, uh, is going to carry over into next year into a, a general election when more of those moderates, more of those middle-of-the-road road unenrolled voters are involved. Um, it really remains to be seen. If, if the national trend is saying that it's going to be good for Republicans nationwide, uh, you could see Massachusetts kind of being the, the counterexample of that and trying to maintain this uh, progressive wave uh, into the office. Um, you know, again, we'll, we'll get into what's going to happen next year, but what happens next year starts right now, uh, and that is, you know, speculation about Attorney General Mara Healy, uh, speculation about whether uh, a, a stark progressive like Sonia Chang Diaz can uh, make a mark in this primary. Who's going to raise money right now? Who's going to carry on to 2022? That's really where the buzz is at now. It's the other thing about Lydia Edwards that we we shouldn't understate. Also with Ayanna Presley is we actually have people who are on the city council who are going on <laughs> to higher elective office, which traditionally hasn't happened. And, uh, and, and we're going to have new faces on the city council as well. Yeah, to Peter's point about Boston uh, and the progressive wave, like gaining power, the seat of that, I think, is the Boston City Council. This is a political breeding ground. Uh, the other implication of Edwards, I think, is that it represents such a loss, such turnover this election season um, when she does go on, assuming that she does uh -huh. go on. That'll be six counselors that have been lost between Mayor Wu, Kim Janey, Andrea Campbell, uh, Anissa Asabi-George, and Matt O'Malley. And of course, we know that Michael Flaherty's name is in the mix for the DA position that our um, new district attorney from Massachusetts is leaving open. Um, and if he goes on, that'll be seven. That'll be a majority of counselors that are lost um, with a whole new class of folks coming in to start a new budget process and decide a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, we're going to get into the budget process in a minute, but I want to talk about Mayor Michelle Wu, who, you know, it seems like she could do no wrong until this week when she gave an interview uh, to Politico magazine uh, talking about how she was enjoying uh, riding the tea and uh, suggested to Lisa Kaczynski that we've got to change the culture of riding the tea. It's a civic space for community conversation, but everyone's always really quiet on there. And it's safe to say that the Twittersphere erupted, especially the Boston Twittersphere, with people saying, no, it's not. It's one of the only opportunities I have during the day to read my book. And I love Mayor Wu, but absolutely not. And don't make eye contact with me either. LOLs, I'm not really sure that was very LOLs. And my favorite, crucially important MBTA norm survey, 
Boston Mayor Michelle Wu said, we've got to change the culture. Um, what do you think? Is the MBTA a place for? And most people, 73, the overwhelming percentage, said being really quiet. And as Mayor Wu can, wanted to just get back in there and say, to be clear before I get recalled, I'll be delighted if you come talk to me, but also get it if you're busy and just want space. Come say hi. Um, you know, I don't know, Peter. I think I, I was thinking maybe the honeymoon would last a little bit longer for Michelle Wu. What were your thoughts well, about this? Well, this grumpy old guy may give um, Wu high marks for um, the mass and cast problem, but uh, <laughs> this grumpy old guy ain't going to be talking to people on the team. <laughs> um, you know, she either had a cup, you know, she probably had one cup of coffee too many that morning. <laughs> And so let's just chalk it up to that. <laughs> Mike, I can't imagine. Uh, I was actually out talking to folks in front of the tee as they were getting on and off, asking if they would talk on the tee, and they wouldn't even talk to me in front of the train station. Uh, I know she's a Midwesterner at heart, as she said, from Chicago and in Boston. We really don't want to talk to people. But um, I, do, I do appreciate her idea that maybe we could find a way to talk to each other more openly if it's in line or on the street or, you know, just being a little bit more pleasant. Is, do you endorse? Uh, it's, it's really strange. I think I attempted to talk to somebody on the tee the other day and it didn't go well uh, just to, to return some, some lots property that I had found. A woman saw, looked at me I like I had six I saw that on Twitter. Heads. I was following yeah, that as well. You and your Quite purse. the follower, Sue. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, well, the, Mayor Wu is also the woman that doesn't want to implode Boston City Hall and thinks it's an architectural marvel. So, uh, you know, she, she can be wrong about certain things uh, culturally, let's say. Oh. But, um, you know, when it comes to reforms, it makes me think maybe she should have just uh, you know ran for MBTA general manager instead of go. for mayor. I know it's not an elected position. Oh, but, Soraya, uh, Soraya, the, the honeymoon is over for Michelle Wu, I'm afraid. Let's talk about uh, some issues that you brought up looking forward to, to 2022. The Boston uh, budget, which is an interesting spot with Mayor Wu in place um, because of the way of the special election. I don't want to get too far in the weeds there, but um, what, what do you think is going to happen moving forward with uh, you know, Wu's administration and the budget in 2022? I will just say before I answer your question, at the risk of copying some hate mail, I think it's a wonderful idea. When I was out of town and I heard people chatting, I went, why is there so much noise? And I had to check myself and I went, oh, I'm not in Boston anymore. It is wonderful to chat with people. So good. Uh, <laughs> um, in terms of your question, I think this is going to be interesting to watch because it means that Michelle Wu is on the other side of power and is now the establishment. She is dealing with a class of counselors that seems to be signaling that they mean to be to the left of even her. And now that they have the power to collectively, if they get on one page, veto certain portions of the budget, I think it's going to be a bit more of a messy process. Uh, but all of the counselors in this past term indicated that democracy is messy and they think it's best to participate that way. And it also looks like uh, Ed Flynn, Councillor Ed Flynn, is going to have enough votes to become city council president. So certainly keeping uh, keeping some old hands on deck, uh, hopefully giving some stability at least to the process. Of He's going to have council. a time wrangling them, I think. He's going to have a time wrangling them. And Mike, you talked about it a little bit coming up this year, 2022, obviously the Democratic uh, primary for governor, which one would hope might be more exciting than the former uh, <laughs> primaries that uh, 
at least when it comes to getting Democrats to actually support uh, the candidates who are running forward. Um, what, what are you hearing, and is this really going to make Baker a real lame duck, or as I kind of alluded to earlier, do you think it's going to open him up to, to take more risks as far as uh, a, a risk defined by what a Baker risk would be? Yeah, it, it's a good question because I think the Massachusetts governor is so powerful in their own ways uh, and the executive office is so empowered to do things that he doesn't need the legislature to do an awful lot of the things that he, you know, to go about his agenda. Um, but when he's going beyond that, when he does need bills on his desk to become law, that's where you could definitely see some pushback from lawmakers. Um, the other dynamic you're going to see is an awful lot of these Democrats running for a governor are going to be trashing the legislature uh, and maybe not trashing the incumbent governor as much because he's not going to be running. This may have gone from a race about how Charlie Baker has operated to how Beacon Hill is operating. So you have figures like Ben Downing, like Sonia Chang-Diaz, who have been part of the legislature for a long time, um, now trying to challenge that from the outside, criticizing the institutions they've been a part of. So we might see an awful lot more of Karen Spilka and Ron Mariano, uh, their names coming up rather than Charlie Baker. And I want to talk about Ron Mariano as well and uh, Mayor Michelle Wu. And, you know, folks watching outside of Boston or even in Boston may not understand how little power the city of Boston has in relation to how much power lawmakers in the State House have over Boston. Um, what, what kind of relationship do you predict that they're going to have? Uh, that's like another great question. I know that uh, Wu has met with Charlie Baker. I don't know if she's uh, really sat down with the legislative leaders for all that much time. Uh, and you're absolutely right. The MBTA is a state agency. Let's just start there. If that's one of the cornerstones of the Wu agenda uh, and the legislature doesn't want to fund the T as much as some people on the progressive side of things want it funded, then the T's not going to get funded. Um, a lot of these pilot programs that uh, Wu is working on quite actively right now um, not necessarily need a legislative sign-off, but they need to go through the T process. All of that costs money, and all of that means the purse springs, and that means the House of Representatives is where the buck stops. So Speaker Mariano and Michelle Wu are uh, a lot more tied together, uh, are going to be for the next few years, than people have really uh, paid too much attention to. And it will be interesting to see what their personal relationship and their political uh, back and forth is uh, this spring when it comes to whatever the mayor legislative agenda is. And Peter, we do have midterm elections coming up. Uh, I'm not really sure if we've seen any incumbents being challenged yet. Um, the clock is still ticking on that. But what do the midterm elections mean for us in Massachusetts? Well, I think the importance of the midterm elections is national. I would say the Massachusetts congressional delegation is, at the moment, all pretty safe. Um, we're most likely going to see the Republicans take over the House of Representatives. Um, that's historical precedent, but historical precedent doesn't dictate the future. But um, the thin majority the House holds um, has not been able to deliver on a lot, and what they've been striving to deliver on is probably out of touch with a lot of the moderate independent voters who put the Democrats into their thin majority. Um, that will have ramifications, especially on social issues. Um, let's just take, let, let's see if um, the Supreme Court 
greatly curtails a woman's right to abortion. It expects a Republican-dominated um, House to uh, squash any effort to work around the Supreme Court. Um, that's a big fact, and it's coming like a freight train. It's several miles down the rails right now, but um, I think as we approach the fall, that fact is going to dawn on more and more people. Has, uh, I'm just going to go around quickly and get any predictions from folks. Any unlikely candidates running for governor? I mean, obviously the same names are being thrown around, including uh, Secretary um, Marty Walsh. But is anybody hearing some out of the blue, out of left field candidates? This is a pop quiz. I certainly have. You know, there's a lot of chatter. I think people are looking at uh, maybe a self-funding moderate uh, either to run as an independent or get involved in the Democratic primary, you know, from the, the right, uh, seeing how things go. Uh, you know, Walsh's name does come up a lot. I think it's a safe bet right now that Mara Healy's going to do something, and Walsh, I don't think, would be involved if Healy does get into this race. Uh, I've been wrong before. Um, you know, and then people are still waiting for a Baker-style Republican to try to get involved in this Republican primary and maybe pry that away from the, the Trump side of the party. Um, so there are a few people. Soraya, I was just going to ask, Soraya, I've, I've also heard a little bit about people who ran for mayor who didn't endorse um, Michelle Wu in the campaign and who are sitting and watching to see what other opportunities there may be. Uh, I'm speaking of, of course, Andrea Campbell. Are you hearing anything about that? I have not heard anything from Andrea Campbell herself about that. And so I will put that to bed. <laughs> when she calls me and lets me know, we will report that. Yeah. All right, Peter, <laughs> I cut you off. Jump in there. No, no, I, I was going to just build on Mike's point about Jeff Deal. Um, uh, I, I think unless something, I'm not sure there are moderates left in the Republican Party. Mm. Baker's a moderate. His party made it very clear that they didn't want him. Um, the forces of Donald Trump have taken over the Republican Party. Um, and I, I'd make a, a prediction that um, don't be surprised if Deal, you know, plays the critical race theory card and that the governor, the, the election for governor in Massachusetts turns very nasty. Um, I don't know if that'll happen. I don't want a nasty election, but um, we can't overlook that fact. All right. We'll have to leave it there, Peter Kadzis, with your optimistic prediction. Thanks for joining us. That's it for tonight and for 2021. Talking Politics will be off the next two weeks, returning on January 6th. For now, thanks for watching and good night.